Hey, Warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. To another episode of the Unqualified Therapist. <laughs> I'm not sure if I gave Sarah my cold or she's like giving me off the hook and saying it was her kids. It has to be my kids. I know there it. There is a cold going around people that is not COVID. I'm just no. saying. Um, my daughter was tested. She was COVID negative. We all have had the same symptoms as her. Yes. Yeah. So I sound like weird. As yeah. you can hear. And Sorry. if you listen closely to last week, you hear me. <laughs> oh, you can hear it in you too. <laughs> it's Poor really thing. funny. Yeah. Um, I'm about the only funny thing about that episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you just sound really stuffed up. And yeah. here I sound like I smoke like five packs of Marlboros a day. <laughs> Marlboro Reds or yes. Camel Wides. It's like one I, or the other. It's like I bite off the filters. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I not make me laugh. It makes me cough. So when we were in New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, I don't think we ever figured out how I'm supposed to say it. I don't know. Anyways, there was a guy on the street, lots of men on the street, obviously, but like that we were talking to and one wanted a cigarette. And so I gave it to him and he ripped off the filter. I missed that. You missed it. You I were like that. standing over there. Cause oh like, my gosh. it was just like, you know me, I'm like, I'm just going to walk in and talk yeah. to all the homeless people because <laughs> exactly. why not? Why not? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But anyways, that's what that made me think of. So it is, it is, uh, I say this, I don't know why I'm chuckling cause it's not funny, but it is still suicide awareness month. And we realized that last week was a little heavy this week and next week are also going to be, but it needs to be talked about. It needs to be shared. We are not experts at all. We have experiences that we are sharing with you so that, you know, if you have your own experiences and they're similar, you know that you weren't the only one, or perhaps we have some, you know, information that can be helpful to you in the future or to a loved one that you are, um, in a relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what we're hoping for, just to be able to help out and shed some light on the, I don't want to say issues. I don't know. Shed some light on, on the system and how it's working currently. Take the, take the faux pas. Is it faux pas? Is that what that is? Like I don't, when yeah. something is like not, you don't want to say it like that, like that. I mean, we'll just use the word I always use stigma, stigma yeah. around um, dying by suicide. I mean, so today we're going to hear Sarah's story and we've alluded to it so many times 
on the podcast over the past year. And I think it's, it's good for us to get the full story in a, in a completion, like so from start to finish. But before we do that, I had this realization this week and I will tell you in full details during our reality bites little bit, but I, um, I talked to you a lot about how I have suicidal ideations as well when my depression is very severe, but I, Sarah and I have been going to, I like, I would just naturopath. What would you call them? Yeah. Holistic doctor, holistic doctor that we're going to be talking a lot more about. Um, we have a lot of recommendations that we want to share with you because they've been life changing. And anyways, so one of the things that we had to do, didn't have to do, but one of the things was to do like a a gallbladder cleanse prior to our second. And I'm just going to, you know, this is a, um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert that, that, (laughs) that the reality bites is going to be an Amy's first about my very first colonic. So, um, (laughs) yep. We're going to be talking about Amy's poop. So get excited and my butt, uh, Lighten things up a little bit around here. Um, because, you know, that is another topic that is not talked enough about. And like, what, your butt? No. (laughs) Everyone talks about my butt. It's so good looking. I have a great butt. You do have a great butt. Yeah. I can, I can say that with full certainty. It's that booty yoga, man. It is. It is. Why have you not joined my class, people? I don't know, but you're missing out on having a great ass. Yeah. You should join in. Doesn't just matter. kidding. Your ass is just as great as Amy's. But I can make it hard as a rock. Anyways, <laughs> what you don't want hard as a rock is your stomach <laughs> and the poop inside. So, <laughs> so full disclosure, because my throat hurts so bad, like, and it hurts to talk. I'm here drink. I'm going back and forth between hot coffee and a frosty that my husband just brought me. And water. And water. So every time you say something funny, I'm like choking on. I, I'm not meaning to do that. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just think poop is so funny just like me and my 5-year-old we have poop jokes constantly. So, okay, so I I'm going to tell you all about what happened and why I went and the whole procedure. So that's not what I'm ta- talking about right now. What I am talking about is this saltwater concoction that I drank to cleanse prior to my second colonic. And there is a whole TikTok series that I created because I, because I told her, I was like, Uh you gotta video yourself. I can't. Like she kept calling me and I was dying, like laughing so hard (laughs) because I'm the worst friend ever. She didn't do it with me. Instead of me being sympathetic and, and talking her through it, I was laughing and I'm like, please video yourself because this is hilarious. She's like, do it for the pod. And I was like, all right, anything for the pod. Now, the best part about this TikTok series is that my 11-year-old thought it was hilarious and the funniest thing I've ever done, ever. And she thinks you're not funny at all. She does not find me to be funny or entertaining or care at all about this podcast. But she was like, mom, I like want to know about the pod now that you kept talking about it. So it is a phenomenon all over TikTok, colonics are. And you can see my story on there as well. But 
the the <laughs> Bruce... our first TikTok contribution. <laughs> I even said to her, I was like, "Do you think we should start our TikToks off with my poop?" <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, why not? It'll get some leverage." Uh, I don't know. Just so you know, there's no actual poop now be- being viewed on these. It's just Amy drinking just her salt story. water. Oh my god, her face! It's hilarious. It's amazing. <laughs> so it caused the most intense pain I felt in a very long time. It reminded me of contractions, like baby contractions, nope. like pushing out a baby and all of that. And there was moments that I was laying on the bathroom floor crying and like begging God not to let me die. And I call the woman and I'm like, I'm so scared. And she's like, um, honey, this is exactly what's supposed to be happening. And of course that like calms me down and I'm fine. But we're driving to the place afterwards. And I said to Sarah, I was like, hold up. I was like, is it not strange that when you are physically in pain, you are, or you get cancer, or you think you might get in a car accident, or I don't even know, but I was in, like, I seriously thought I had done something to harm myself so much that I was going to die. Like, genuinely. I was so, so, so scared. What really, I have a whole lot of stomach issues that all that stuff needed to come out. It wasn't like I actually hurt myself. It just hurt so bad. And I, for a split second, I was like, did I make a mistake? Like, did I do something bad? And... All I wanted to do was live. That was it. I was just like, I just want to live. I have a whole life to live. And, you know, the, the connection I made was when I'm so depressed and I'm just so sad and I cannot pull myself out how much I'm the opposite and I just want to die. Mm -hmm. And so what does that say about the anguish of mental pain? It's so strong that it can, I mean, we know that the, what I want is to live. Yeah. We know at the core, but what is it about that or the lies that you tell yourself and right. your brain plays a little bit of tricks on you? Yeah. Um, it's just so like the, the dichotomy yeah, mm-hmm. of the two is just, there's, there's just polar opposites. And I, I, you know, and so I don't know an answer to this. All I'm saying is that I just kind of made an observation and I was like, that's crazy that I wanted to die so bad. And then I actually got sick and thought something was physically wrong. And all I did was like pray for my life. Yeah. No, but like when you said that in the car on the way up there, it was like the biggest, uh, like, aha. I hate saying that because it's such a corporate thing. It's so Oprah. But aha. I gave an aha moment. (laughs) But it was just like such this moment where I was like, oh my God, like what does that say about your mental anguish? And, and does it say that? that's how painful it is or like you said is it just that your mind is in such a state of lies lies and fog yeah you're just not seeing clearly right and that doesn't change my mind that we can prevent all suicides all that does to me is make me realize about amy that amy wants to live right and I want to make sure that I, during those moments, just keep going into the next moment, into the next moment, like we talked about last week. So that could be true for other people too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that at your core, when the lies aren't spewing at you, yeah, you want to live. Right. I mean, it's just, when you said that, I was just like, wow, because, you know, because when you got your cancer diagnosis, I panicked. 
You did, you weren't like, oh yeah, thanks, right. thanks, man. I'm getting my I'm getting my dream. My wish. I'm getting my I'm wish. So excited to like kill over. Yeah, no, I I panicked and I yeah. had you know faced with your own mortality yes. like that. You have this awakening, I guess. I, I, I don't want to say you. I had this awakening yes. and I was very terrified and I did not want to die. Now, um, I also I had experienced depression probably about six months prior to being diagnosed. Um, that was the worst I'd experienced up to that date in my life. Um, but I have experienced much deeper depression since then. It was just at that time I had never felt anything like that. And, um, so, you know, it was like a, Whoa, I, I don't want to die kind of moment. But I think, you know, after that, the walls came (laughs) crashing down yeah Yeah. i mean you know healing physically Mm -hmm. doesn't always mean that there isn't damage mentally heck yeah so i think that's kind of hey how about that for a transition that leads us right into your story (laughs) so this story does take place after you had your diagnosis and your surgeries correct correct yes okay Yeah. So I was, this was, I had my diagnosis and surgeries in 2018. This, um, happened in 2019. Okay. It was actually about a year and a few months after. Well, that was a shit year for both of us. Sure was. Damn. Okay. Go ahead. Sure was. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was sort of, it was, it was a weird, um, occurrence. I had been going to therapy Because, you know, when you have uh, something like that going on in your life, it's important that you talk to someone. Right. And I kind of lived by this whole um, mentality of, as I've talked about before on here, that, uh, you know, when I was raised that you felt sorry for yourself for five minutes and and you picked yourself up by your bootstraps and you kept going and you slapped a positive statement on it and um, slapped a warrior sticker on yourself and slapped some coffee, listen to some gangster rap and go and deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, I have done. As a matter of fact, I feel like you and I met and I'm so glad that we both stuck around and like came back around because you and I both met when I was in that positivity is everything. (laughs) I don't know how you were friends with me. I was. I loved you from afar. It was awful. Yeah. I mean, it was like the cheerleader rah-rah on everything. Oh. Yeah. Barf. Um, but, you know, and I'm like we've said before, we're not saying that positivity is a bad thing by any means no. whatsoever. But I was hiding behind a wall of positivity. Instead of talking about mm-hmm. what was truly going on, I was just kind of, you know, putting um, inspirational quotes on my social media feeds. And um, yeah, but that's yeah. also the front you had. You thought you had to play for your business. Yeah, right, right. I was also kind of being told that by my business partner. Right. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was tough. So I, I had been holding everything in for my whole life and, you know, this just kind of was the last like straw, you know, which is weird because I had suffered through things that I would consider to be worse, you know, losing people as close to me as my brother and my dad. Like those are 
those are really hard losses, but this was like a, okay, I've lost them, but I'm going to be joining them, I think soon. And cause it was, my diagnosis was pretty scary at it first. It was so scary. And it was very, very scary. So, um, you know, I just had kind of gone into this, into this downward slide and, um, in between, uh, people are telling me how strong I am and I'm smiling and giving talks and speeches and, um, just really trying to be the positive light for everyone else the instead positive of cancer girl, right. Instead of trying to get people to give me that like positivity yeah. and love that I could have used at that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was tough. And so going to therapy was huge. And I, I talked through a lot of it, but she also could see through my bullshit and she would tell me a lot of times, like, that's why I fucking love her. I know. She's like, you're just, you're not, um, like it's okay. Like, yeah. cause she would be like, you are putting st- way too much pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. Cause I would go in and be like, I don't understand why I can't be this amazing wife. Why I can't be this amazing yeah. mom. Why I can't be this amazing friend and businesswoman. And she's like, you're dealing with a, a, a yeah. really scary health diagnosis. Like you've got to give yourself some grace and some, some, uh, permission to be sad yeah, and to deal with it um, or it's not going to end up good. And she was right. And so um, I kind of liken it to, it was sort of like I was, there was a light rain going this whole mm-hmm. time. And so there's this light rain. So there's like a little bit of sunshine because I'm trying to sh- shove it there. Yeah. And <laughs> so I'm like shoving the sunshine there. So this light rain's coming down. So there's rainbows. So I'm like, this is fucking great. There's rainbows and there's sunshine, even though it's a little bit rainy. And then um, I was sitting in my therapist's office and our session had come to an end. And so she said that. And I, I think she was frustrated with me in that session because I hadn't said anything real. And she, I could tell. Mm-hmm. And I think looking at her face and like mm-hmm. getting, having that realization yeah. caused me to start to have a panic attack. Yeah. So I started to have a panic attack. So she's trying to talk me through it and she's telling me where to put my fingers for some pressure points, some breathing, some, all this stuff. So this light rain, all of a sudden it was like out of nowhere. The sky just turned black, Yep. opened up. And just dumped and like torrential downpour hurricane started. Yeah. And I lost it. And it was everything that I had held on to for 30 years Mm. just came crashing through my brain. It was sort of like how people describe when their life is over, Mm -hmm. how they have flashes flashes of everything. And that was exactly what was happening to me. All of these things, every single trauma that I had experienced in my life was playing like a movie, like quick movie trailer in my head. Yeah. And it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And I was just like, why am I here? Yeah. And I imagined myself leaving this appointment, getting into my car and, you know, where we live and where this therapist um, office is. There's a lot of hills in Pittsburgh. It's mm-hmm. a super hilly place. Mm-hmm. And there's a specific like freeway that's not far from there. That's like big gorge off the side. And I envisioned myself driving to that highway and driving off of the, the overpass. And I felt instant relief. Yeah. 
and I felt like I could breathe and I felt like I could like leave and be okay because I knew that I wasn't going to have to feel this way anymore. And she was like, what's going on? What are you thinking about? And I'm thinking to myself, don't tell her what you just thought. Yeah. Because if you tell her what you just thought, you're, you're not going to get to do You're it. not getting to go. Yeah. You don't get to leave here. You're probably not going to get to go home. Mm-hmm. Do not say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then I start crying mm-hmm. because I then felt such a deep feeling of shame. Yep. That I didn't know what else to do with it besides just sob. And it was just this uncontrollable sobbing that had been stuck in there for so long that I had not let come out. Yeah. That just was gushing out of me. And I eventually told her what I had been thinking. And I'm so glad that I did. And I don't know, honestly, what made me say it. But she then told me, (laughs) oh, I remember why I told her. She said, listen, I can't let you leave here. You need to tell me what's going on. She said, you're either leaving here uh, in an ambulance or um, Randy's going to have to come get you. She's like, but you're not, you are not leaving here of your own. Like you cannot get in your car. Yeah. Even though I hadn't even told her what I was thinking. So I told her. And that's when she called Randy. So Randy came to pick me up and he took me straight to the hospital that was the closest to this therapist's office. And, um, here is where I'm going to talk about how the system is broken. What I do want to say is that the hospital that Sarah is speaking of, I also have had my Scott and I have had one of the worst experiences at. So so we are saying that there's some that are better than others. Absolutely. But this is, um, yeah, this is part of why the system's broken. This is part of why we're telling these stories is because something needs to happen. You should be able to go to the closest hospital. Correct. Yes. And get the same treatment. Absolutely. So I, I went in and I, I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. I was sobbing. I was crying. Um, it was awful. Um, I didn't know this. They took me back to a room and then they took everything off of me, made me put on a hospital gown, put everything into like paper bags. Like it made me feel like I was being arrested, Yep. put everything into paper bags. Um, they wanted me to make sure I didn't have anything sharp on me. Like I get these things. I get that these are for my safety and everybody else's safety. Dehumanizing the way they do it is so dehumanizing. It's so dehumanizing. And that's, I get I'm sorry. I get really angry. That's the problem. They were looking at me like I was crazy, like psychotic. And so I was so ashamed and so embarrassed. Yeah. And the room they put me in to be evaluated had nothing in it. Everything was bolted to the floor Mm -hmm. there. It was like, it felt like a prison cell. Yeah. So then a psychiatrist comes in and talks to me. And she was just very blunt. Yep. There was no black and white, like zero compassion. No, no compassion. No, concern. no concern. No bedside just manner. None. It was so just like, uh, um, I don't know. Sterile. Sterile's a good word. And, and so I asked the question cause she said, <laughs> so I lied. She said, do you have a plan? I said, no. 
and well, that's the only way they're going to let you leave. Yeah, if you lie. Um, now I that that moment of driving off of a an embankment was not going to be my plan going forward um, because I had then had a moment to think I could harm somebody else doing that. Mm. Okay. Um, so I, I was like, no, I do not have a plan. Um, so she's like, listen, I'm in a hard spot right now because you don't have a plan. So I can't make you stay, but I don't think you should leave. So she said, is there anything that I can, you know, help you with to answer questions that'll make you feel comfortable staying? So I asked her what the ward was like. And, um, I asked a very blunt question of, will I be in there with other people who have, different psychological issues that I might be in danger. And her answer was yes. And I said, okay, well, how do I ensure that I can protect myself? So then I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm like, okay, <laughs> why am I? I don't know. It was because just, I'm sure now people out there who don't understand any of this are thinking you just wanted to kill yourself. So why are you worried about your safety guys? That's the nuance of it. That's mm -hmm. the complication. There is no way to explain that, but I get mm -hmm. exactly what you were thinking. Yeah, it was that, but it was also things like, am I going to be assaulted and not right. killed? Right. Am I going to, you know, is there going to be something that's going to be irreparable and then I am fucked? Yeah. Because I'm going to take myself out of this picture real quick Yeah, because of what happens to me in here. And so she's like, listen, we're just here to keep you safe um, from yourself. So she's like, there's no, I said, so there's no separate area for like dangerous people. And she said, no, you're all in the same area. And I was like, oh, lovely. So I was like, no, Randy, take me home. <laughs> so we went home. I apologized and said everything that I thought I needed to say to get him to be okay with me being at home. Um, and, and guys, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you a part of the story that is going to sound like I'm putting blame on someone and it's going to sound like I am saying that I shouldn't have been put in the hospital. Uh, listen, I know that this experience was something that's changed my life for the good. So I don't want you to think that, but I, this is, this is the, these are the facts. This is how it happened. Uh, so Randy was okay with me staying at home. Um, and I was trying to get into a, like an outpatient type mm -hmm. of program instead mm -hmm. of going into the hospital. And that was something I was more than willing to do, go into some intensive therapy and work through this. Um, and if you have, I know we referenced this so much, but this was just a very big part of my life in that time. And especially in 2018, 2019. Um, but if you listen to the gaslighter episode, when I'm talking about Jill, you know who I'm referring to. Um, this was somebody that affected my life for a few years in a very strong gaslighting sense. Um, but she had talked Randy into, um, involuntarily taking me to a hospital and that she would come and do it. So I was sitting in my living room and, you know, the garage door opens and Randy says, oh, you have a visitor. And I was like, what the fuck? And in comes Jill. And she's like talking to me like I'm five. Hi. Hey. Hi, come on. Like, I just think it's going to be really, it's going to be best if you go and get the help that you need and, you know, just kind of just really patronizing me. Side note, she has no experience with, um, 
dealing with mental illnesses. She has no degree. She has no qualifications, but she had convinced my husband that I had borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder, um, which both uh, three different psychiatrists and my therapists have said are not the case that I just have major, not just <laughs> that I have made, <laughs> that I have major depressive disorder. So they're all, they're all awful. They're all awful. And, and in their own ways and they all have their own things. Um, but just like we talk about how bipolar has been stigmatized to be this like dangerous, um, yeah, disorder. That's what she was selling it to my husband as was this dangerous thing that I was now a dangerous person. And so that is why he f went along with this whole ruse. So, um, I guess I just want to pop in yeah, because please. I feel like people need to understand that part of the reason why this was not a good experience is because of the way she did it and who she was in your life. Um, you know, I think yes. that had it been me in the, like, I would have been like, honey, like I fucking know like this sucks. Like we, but I can't lose you. Like, that would not, that can't happen. So I am sorry, but we are going to take care of this now. Yeah. So either, you know, and whatever, but, but it's, so I don't want people to not help their friends. Right. right. But at the same time, patronizing them and making and being scared of them and those sort of things doesn't help either. Um, and so I, I know what we're telling you is so complicated and you're probably like, you're not helping me navigate the situation, <laughs> but I want you to understand that's because it's that complicated. It is. Yeah. And there is, you know, better ways to do things. So I didn't know this part of the story yeah. at all. So this was a couple days later too. Okay. So this was a couple of days later. I had been diving deep into things to help myself. It's not like I was just like sitting around and wallowing. And when you want to do an outpatient program, so everyone knows there's a wait list mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of calling. It does. And it takes a lot of energy and research to make that happen. Right. Right. So I'll tell you guys some of the things she was saying to me so you can understand the difference between what Amy just said that she would say and what you should not say. Yeah. And that was, you're not thinking of your kids. No, bad. <laughs> Don't just period <laughs> ever. Oh. Uh, your kids need you. I can't believe you're doing this to them. Um, they, they are clearly suffering because their mom isn't there for them. Um, your husband, you're not being, you're not thinking of him. You're not thinking of me. It was all very, uh, there was no concern for myself, for, for me, the person who was suffering and feeling that pain. It was all about the people surrounding me. So that all that did was make me feel even more guilty, which made my depression and like spiral go even deeper instead of it being this helpful thing that's like, oh, yeah, that's going to snap me out of it. No, it was like, you're right. So this is like, I'm just, I shouldn't be here at all because all I'm doing is just messing up everybody's life. So those are not helpful things to say. 
And that's the difference between you definitely want to help your friend. You definitely want to step in if you see something, if something seems off, wrong. Um, you, you absolutely want to do that, but blaming them and putting any type of blame or guilt on that person is the worst thing that you can do. Yes. So, um, I, uh, I went (laughs) and this time we went to, um, a hospital further away in a very, very nice area of Pittsburgh and it's a, it's an affluent area and, um, went there. Now what they did at the ER, because to let you know, you have to go into the emergency room. Like this is how you are admitted into any hospital that has a psychiatric ward, um, is going through the emergency room. So in this hospital, instead of them having me standing out in the emergency room or sitting in the waiting room, they just took me back to a private area. It was actually like somebody's office. And because I was crying, I was sobbing, um, because I was so embarrassed and ashamed that I was being escorted by my husband. And at that time who I thought was my best friend, um, so it was, it was, it was nice to be taken back to this room, but then it's kind of like a slap of reality right away again. Um, once more was, uh, hadn't made to undress, but this was a little bit more dignified. They gave me scrubs to put on. Um, I had my own private like area. There was a bed to lay in. There was a TV behind like a plexiglass thing. So it was just a little bit more, it felt more like a little bedroom area instead of this like sterile concrete prison. Um, and then they, they do all kinds of things. So just to let you know how it goes, they take blood, they take urine, they do an EKG, they do a full questionnaire. They ask you a million questions, um, from a nurse. Then a doctor comes in and asks you another million questions and then you wait and 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 you wait. Because they may not have a bed or they may be trying to clean a room that they do have a bed open. Um, you, you just don't know when it comes to any kind of health care whatsoever. And then there's times you'll do all those things and they'll send you home. Yeah. Because they don't have a bed. Right. Often. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was terrifying. And I will tell you that those, that suicidal ideation and those suicidal thoughts did not leave my brain in that room because I wanted out of there so badly. And it was, I was looking for a place to escape from. That is, uh, one of the most common things. Like I've heard that so many times from, um, people who have been in the hospital, specifically Scott, every single time because you have this realization my life is no longer my own yep and I have zero say over anything yeah and you actually do and I'll tell you why this is because we had to put some comic relief in here (laughs) um so Scott when he was manic he was also well first of all he was also like fucking brilliant but when he was manic he could like do things faster and like so he he read the entire um patient handbook rights and regulations oh my god highlighted it took notes and took it to the hearing (sighs) that we had three days later to talk about how they had violated his rights in these different ways and he wasn't wrong yeah 
it was just a much more complicated situation that we didn't have any it was very complicated but they don't necessarily and they're not used to having someone like that so they were like they looked at me and they're like i know he shouldn't leave but he has to like we don't know what else to do with him he's right (laughs) but anyways so (laughs) you do have rights if you take the patient handbook and then he was also starting a revolution with the other patients oh no he taught them their rights no (laughs) jesus they're Good lord. It'd be like a revolt. He did. He made best friends every time. Of course he did. Of course he did. So, uh, but the feeling that I would have, I know, and I know the feeling when he was more depressed rather than manic is like, I have no say now. Yeah. Like they, they can make me do whatever they want. Get up when I, when they make me eat, when they make me, you know, and Mm -hmm. that is not a good feeling when you're feeling like shit. Right. Right. So this is why, here's why I think that the system is broken because the hospitalization is purely to keep you alive. And they will tell you that my own, they'll say my only purpose is to keep you alive for 72 hours. Exactly. And if you want to leave, leave and come back for another 72 hours. Mm -hmm. And the only purpose is to keep you alive. Yeah. There's no therapy. No. Except group therapy, which is bullshit. There was not even group therapy. Art therapy? In mine. So they had art therapy. Scott did a bunch of art. <laughs> but it was basically like... Collage? Here, open those cabinets over there. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff you can color on. Yeah. Here's some washable markers. There's your art therapy. Yeah, because you can't have a pen. And I was like, I know, I couldn't have a pen, but I had pencils. And I'm like, I feel like I could do much more damage with this pencil than I could a pen. Yeah. But yeah. that I'm trying to or whatever. But anyways... um. Yeah, I had like a dulled down golf pencil. That's what they give you, the little yes. golf pencils. I was yes. like, this is what I have to write with? Yeah. Uh, so that was frustrating. Um, but everything was locked. So they had an art therapy room, but you couldn't go in there unless it was art therapy time. There was, um, there, the bathrooms were locked. Like you couldn't take a shower unless you were being given permission to do so. You couldn't bring your own toiletries in. They had a soap dispenser on the wall in the shower and that was what you washed everything with was this like liquid soap they didn't even let randy bring something for you no because that was always like one of scott's biggest asks i would bring him his bed bath bed bath and beyond you know what i mean (laughs) bath Bath and body works works, body wash because it made him feel better yeah i mean i would have loved to have something to make me feel fresh but see that's the thing they don't tell you is what you're allowed to have i bet you were allowed to have that Mm -hmm. i asked really yes they, there was one woman there who could have stuff, but that's because she had been there months. Oh. Months and months and months. So this is why it's broken. I, was, I wasn't I was helped at all. I was just kept alive. I had no clue what time it was. There were no clocks uh, anywhere. Yeah. So you just Tell sleep. you about going crazy, like yeah. feeling like you're, you're losing it. Now, did you have windows? Because Scott didn't have windows. I did have windows. I could see the parking garage for the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no outside time. No, absolutely not. No, you're no, not no, allowed no, no, outside. No, 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 no. We're on a locked ward. So you if can't. you let's just say that you're a smoker. Oh no, huh? And that's just part of your routine. Yeah. Now we're going to take that away too. Exactly. So now you're trying to like come. Yeah. Like to yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's like because I've never smoked like quit yeah, smoking. Yeah, and I'm not but, saying anything that yeah. like we should be smoking or letting them <laughs> right, smoke. Right. What but I'm saying is you're, you're just adding, adding another thing. Exactly. And I begged and pleaded. I was like, guys, you just have to let them outside. Just like for one minute, let them see the sun. No, you can't. That's not. He just kept saying, I need to see the sky. Because how is that? That's in any way. 
therapeutic or helpful yeah, at it's all. Not. And my room had windows because I was on the one side of the ward, but the other side of the ward didn't have windows. So yeah. it just depended. I was just lucky in the room that yeah, I got. Yeah, you were. What was also good about this one is that they did have a separate lock. So we were locked in there, but then also like at the end of our hallway was an, were two more sets of locked doors. And behind that were the patients who were a little like more on the dangerous side of things who might be um, yeah. physically uh, abusive but, towards but, other people. But the truth of it is, is everybody's so drugged up. Nobody's going to have the energy to do anything. Right. Because and that's the other thing they give you. It was, well, yeah. Uh, so they were very regulated on the meds there, at least. Mm. And um, until something happened, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But we, I did see a psychiatrist every day. And I don't know if you've seen a psychiatrist, but it's not a lot of therapy. It's just a lot of... Five minutes. What medication are we going to put you on? What's working? What's not? We're going to adjust this, up this, down this, take this off, whatever. And it's just a lot of yeah. playing with your freaking brain and the chemistry chemicals in your brain and it's messed up so to add on to all of these things that they're doing to you including messing with the chemistry of your brain with these medications is they come to check on you every 15 minutes even when you're sleeping so your sleep is interrupted yeah (laughs) so it's like you just have there it's everything that could possibly be against your favor in feeling better is being thrown at you um that there was visitation every day. So that was the good, that was a good thing. I got to see my husband every day. Um, and we had group meals every day. So at, it was probably, I, I had been there about five days and at dinner time. So the, the How 72 did you get hours, to stay longer? I didn't get to stay longer. I wanted to leave, but there was that 72 hours is, is bullshit. Oh, we never could let he, they would never let him stay longer. I don't know. We would have like hearings. None of us could. It was like the whole ward was like trying to get out of there. Oh, so you needed Scott. I did need Scott. I needed him. Your patients' rights and regulations. Him to start a revolution. Oh yeah, like he never (laughs) stayed longer than the three day hold because he was a pain in the ass. Mine was voluntary too. Wow. It wasn't even an, an involuntary. I voluntarily signed myself in. Yeah. I mean, I I always used to ask and beg and plead for him to stay longer than three, but mm. interesting. New information for me. Yeah. So five days in, um, <laughs> you don't have much else to do. So I'd gotten pretty close with everybody on this ward. We mm-hmm. talked about pretty much everything uh, between talking to them and reading, because that's all I did was just read. Yeah. I consumed books like it was my like nutrition. Like I was just like reading and reading and reading and I that's where I say that Brene Brown's uh the gifts of imperfection saved my life because that is where I read that book yeah repeatedly along with a lot of fiction to try to escape (laughs) yeah but you know we shared with one another we opened up about friends and family you know you just kind of you get close to these people um and so I you know I'm gonna change names if I use names with anybody obviously for for privacy so there was a woman um uh, called justine and she was probably about 10 years older than me and her daughter was getting married and she was like so excited about this this wedding and she had been able to get a magazine from her you know friend that brought it in the last time so she's like going through and we're looking at like hairstyles and dresses and she's just like so excited about this whole thing and um a lot of the people just seemed to be on a good 
good healing journey. Like everybody seemed to be feeling a little bit better. Everybody was kind of talking about things that they were excited about when they were leaving, which, you know, that's where a lot of times people are like, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have taken their life. They were so excited about A, B, C, yeah. D. Um, but sometimes that's just not the case because things can change in a moment. But she, she was really excited about this wedding and, uh, it was just really sweet and it was fun to talk to her about that because it was a good distraction. So dinner time comes around and Justine was not there and it's not like this place is huge, you know? So we're like, where is she? So, um, her roommate was like, Oh, she's sleeping. Uh, she's been sleeping actually since her friend came to visit her for visiting hours. And we were all like, Oh, okay. So a couple more hours goes by, go by and we were having like a movie night that night. So we were going to be watching the greatest showman and we're, you know, like three quarters of the way through and her roommate is like, this is weird. Like she's, I'm going to go check on her. Like her roommate had just gotten there that day. So she didn't know her yeah, very well. Yeah. Um, so she's like, I'm going to go see if she's okay. And she goes in and about a minute later, there's a call over the, the PA that calls oh for a, a lockdown, <clears throat> a code. I don't even remember the color blue. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but it was pretty scary and you hear running and doors slamming and everybody is sent back to their rooms and we're just there to wait. And on our rooms, our doors don't, this was different than what you see in like the movies. The doors don't lock. They don't have like a top or a bottom. You can see two feet below the door, two feet above the door. It's kind of like a, a bathroom stall. Yeah. But, um, so we're just by trust asked to stay in there. So I'm in there and seeing these people run past and, you know, it's really scary. And that was about eight o'clock or so. And around 1am they call us all into the group room where we have our meals and so forth. And, um, they let us know that Justine had passed away. Oh my God. And they were basically interrogating us because she had not died by natural causes and she had not died, um, by her own hand. So, what? yeah. <laughs> um, this is like a movie. I know. So the, the police were there. Um, we were being asked all kinds of questions and basically what I had put together from what all of us had put together. Cause we're all sitting there trying to figure out, we're like, okay, yeah. so what happened when you talked to so-and-so and what happened? So putting all of those puzzle pieces together, here's what we think happened. She had a quote friend come to visit her for visiting hours. And that person used a, um, fake name to come in. Now, when Randy came in to see me, he had to give his driver's license. Yeah. He was patted down. Yeah. Um, and that was about it. And they searched everything that he was bringing me. Yeah. Um, and I guess they had, I'm assuming they had done the same with this person. He had somehow brought in heroin and, um, her roommate had said that they went into the bathroom together, which again, your bathroom is like a bathroom stall. Yeah. You can see two feet below it, two feet above it. They were only in there, she said, for like 
45 seconds like not even a full minute so she's like i didn't know what they were doing yeah it's not she was like it's none of my business it didn't seem like anything but she just got there so she had literally just gotten there like two hours prior Mm -hmm. to this so um you know she's like it's not i didn't know what to do and then she said shortly after that she fell justine fell asleep and her guest sat in the chair and then kind of scooted the chair to block the doorway so her roommate kept trying to leave and he would just keep her there and talk to her asking her like just very generic questions just to keep her where she was and she felt very very uncomfortable she said i should have said so. she that poor woman beat herself up so badly because she's like i should have known i should have known it felt off it felt wrong he made me very uncomfortable it was clear that he didn't want me to leave that room but i'll tell you what guys there's a lot of people in these wards who've been in really bad situations and that's just sort of their life yeah and they kind of come to accept it yeah as abuse is part of my life yeah being held somewhere against my will is part of my life and it's really sad, but that was kind of the, the story of this woman's life. And so she just sort of accepted it and, and sat there. Um, but she had been given a fatal dose of heroin through a needle intravenously and, um, had, had died very shortly after. So when they found her, she was blue and they worked for about 45 minutes to try to revive her. And she was gone. When did the guest finally leave? When visiting hour was over. So just as a side note, um, the two, three other hospitals in the area that I've been to with Scott, we had to sit at tables like you would see in um, like a jail. Like when you see, when you see visiting hours, Mm -hmm. it was like that. Wow. So they watched us the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Here you could be in your own room. We couldn't, I couldn't have gone to his room or I couldn't have like been alone with him at all. Wow. So probably for the best, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So the one time it was in like a room with all glass windows so they could see in, but we had a little bit of privacy. And then the other time it was just a big open room with a bunch of tables. Yeah. What I will say, excuse me, is that, I mean, it it broke the ward. Everybody was fragile to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, add in someone dying there. Yeah. Do you feel like it brought people to a place of like their own mortality and like almost like shifting their thinking of what they wanted? That's exactly what happened. Mm. It was really wild. (laughs) There was a a man there that was breaking my heart the whole time I was there with him. And we had come in at the same time. And I didn't, I thought for sure he's not going to heal. Yeah. He, he's not in a place where he's going to heal. He's this is one of those instances that we talk about where it's hard to completely prevent suicide. Yeah. And I thought that that was the path that he was going to end up taking. Yeah. And he was the first one to say, because he genuinely thought if he took his own life, his, no one would care. He thought no one would care. 
And he's like, I just can't believe I've known this woman for five days. Yeah. How much? The effect that it's had on this room, this ward of people when we barely even know her. And he just broke down crying, realizing, oh my God, if I do this, yeah, it's going to affect people. Yeah. Because there are people who know me so much on a such deeper yeah. level yeah. than this. How could I possibly think that that's not going to affect anyone and that someone's not going to care? It did a lot of the same for me. Unfortunately, though, it was a temporary, um, a temporary band aid. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do think that she did not die in vain because I believe that she helped every single person yeah. in there to come to a, a realization to get help and to know that no matter how small your interactions are with people, if you are gone, you're going, it's going to affect someone, at least one person in a very powerful way. And, and we just, we don't want that. I coming from somebody who has had a a plan to leave this earth. You don't want that for other people. Yeah. Because your plan is to not be a burden anymore. Your plan is to alleviate the stress that you bring upon other people. I would say it's like 99% of the people that want to, or do that's, that's the reasoning. That was my reasoning. I thought for sure that me being here Mm -hmm. was causing heartache, heartbreak, stress. And that is what comments like, look what you're doing to your children. Right. Look what you're doing to your husband. Right. That's what those comments do. Yeah. They just add to that. Right. You're just bringing truth into this lie that's in your brain. They need you is what I kept being told. Mm -hmm. They need you and you are not there for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I have to say too, I, I, and I'm always like, I'm trying to see both sides of it always for all the people out there that are on the other side. There are definitely times that I do believe that I said that to Scott because I saw the pain and the, of, of, and it wasn't like, don't kill yourself. It was like, please get help. Yeah. Like, please get, like, please be okay with this help, like, that we're going to do. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's complicated. It's just like when someone dies saying the wrong thing. Um, what I'm saying is, is if you're coming from a place of selflessness and you're coming from a place that you just want healing for that person for no other reason than the fact you want that person to live, you can't really go wrong. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why the system is broken, though. And that's why we need as many voices as we can to step up and and tell our government, too. Like, we got to do something. Because I left that hospital. And I was very lucky to be in this hospital and and to be able to get in. I mean, I got to tell you, that was all, like, divine intervention for me to get a bed, get into Mm -hmm. into this better hospital, to be um, 
discharged and then to be immediately put into their outpatient program for the next six weeks. That's, that's not, that's unheard that's of. That's unheard of. That's unheard and of. And that is the only reason I'm still here. And I have to tell you how many times this system has failed other people, including your husband. It failed him and I believe it killed him. And I, that's another story for another time. I would like to talk about the other hospitals because I, they're all so different. And, you know, that's one city that Sarah and I are in. And mm-hmm. I've been to, between the two of us, we've been to all the hospitals. Yeah. And, you know, that is Sarah and I's ultimate goal. We have big ideas to help change the system to, you know, do some private sort of things if we can get some funding because, you know, the, the help and the, the things are not there when you need them and they're not there in the way that it would work best. If that makes sense. I also, one more thing, she has got something else, but I want to say, I want to put a kind of an all call out there. If there's anybody who works in the psych ward, if there's anybody who has any sort of, um, expertise in this area, I would love to talk to you. And so if you could reach out, DM us on Instagram, that would be lovely because I just, I really have some questions and I would love to hear, you know, you can do it anonymously because you don't want to affect your job, all of those things, but maybe why some things are the way they are. And from your perspective, how, you know, we can best help. Yeah. So the last thing, excuse me, (laughs) the last thing that I want to make sure that I put out there is Something that when you're feeling like shit and you're in that space um, of suicidal ideation, you roll your eyes at and say, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. I can't believe that I'm writing this down. I feel like I'm five years old. But what I want to tell you is when you're feeling healthy, put this into place and give it to other people that are closest to you. And this is going to be one of the steps that we can have to help make sure that you have the assistance um, and safety nets in place for yourself if you're feeling um, suicidal in any manner. Um, It's called a RAP, W-R-A-P. It's just a wellness recovery action plan. And if you've been in hospital programs um, or near this at all, you are familiar with this. But you just want to make sure that you have some things in place, um, like a daily maintenance list. So you want to make sure you write down some things that you these are just aspects of yourself, um, that you have when you're feeling well. So you just want to write down, how are you feeling when you're feeling well? What is your personality like when you're feeling well? Um, so that you, you know, it's kind of hard. Like I just sit there and think about it. I'm like, who am I when I'm feeling well? Yeah. Because it had yeah. been so long. Yeah. And just so, for example, mine were just humorous, social, calm, and sleeping well. Yeah. Um, so those are just some, you so know, then just you also things. know when you're not well. Exactly. Exactly. Cause you can't tell when you're not well, if you don't know how you're feeling when you are yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Um, make a list of what you need to do each day to feel well. So just write down, you know, four or five things. What do you have to do every single day that's going to make you feel healthy? Um, make a list of things that you might need to do. Um, so like my have to do is, uh, get outside, do something creative, read, learn something new, make a gratitude list. Things I might need to do are clean, cook, declutter, those kinds of things. Um, then you want to make a list of your triggers. What are the things that are going to be uh, unhelpful in when you're in that space? I will tell you that when you have um, a mental illness, though, triggers sometimes aren't even what 
put you down there. It's just your illness itself. But knowing those triggers are very helpful. Mine are being overtired, um, overwhelmed, being physically ill. So like right now I know I have to watch my mental illness yeah. because I'm don't feel well physically. Yeah. Um, and deep self-reflection for myself too is also a, a sketchy place to be. You have to have to have an action plan in place for those triggers. Write down your early warning signs, um, like isolation, racing thoughts, detachment. If you stop answering phone calls, texts, that's me. Although I do that all the time, I feel like now. Uh, <laughs> Not to me, because I don't let that's it right, happen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to have an action plan for those early warning signs. So just do the things on your daily list are, are usually those action plans. So what are those things you have to do? And, and those will help pull you out of it. Uh, and then a list of when you know things are breaking down and it's going to shit, yeah. you have to have that list. So, uh, mine is like clamming up and not releasing any of my feelings if I don't talk to anybody about anything. Um, and if I start to have that suicidal ideation, I know that it's going, it's going down. Yeah. And then what to do when those things are breaking down. Um, for me, I have to call my therapist. I have to get outside. Um, and, but the number one thing I have is to remember that I've been here before and that mm -hmm. I've survived it. Mm -hmm. So you just want to know, um, who your supporters are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like writing those down and keeping them somewhere, mm -hmm. hanging somewhere so you can look and say, like, these are the people who support me, like, so every like, day. So that you know in that moment when they say something that's, like, in your brain, you're like, shut the fuck up. Yep. You know they actually, like, love you. Yep. And, like, <laughs> you know, I could be saying the most annoying thing. It's actually not annoying, but it's annoying because of the place Sarah's at. Mm -hmm. But she has my name on a list that she knows when she was well. Yep. That I trust her and I mm -hmm. know that she is just doing what is best for me. Yeah. And that does help. Um, that's the idea. It is. It, it does help. You know, you know, otherwise, if, if someone else were to say something like that, I would be like, but just keep this in a folder somewhere. Make sure you also have a list of uh, emergency contacts along with treatments you're okay with, treatments you're not okay with. Um, because, you know, if you aren't in a right space, you want to make sure that you can basically hand this folder over. You, and you need to know, research your hospitals around you. Know there are better than others. Know which one. And when yep. you're in a healthy spot, find the ones that when you're not, if you're not, that you say like you hand this to them and this is who you want them to call. Yep. You know, that's where you want to go. You don't want to go anywhere, but that's where, you know, <laughs> the best of all of the worst. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, try when you're well to do these things. And that goes for myself. I keep telling myself to do that. I, I, I really need to do that. So when I'm not depressed, when I'm well, I write some things like that down. Yes. Because I can't fucking see straight when right. I'm not. Exactly. When I mean, I mean, when I'm in that place. Right. right. So... You know, it, you don't even have to be, have suicidal ideations. This could just be like to help you get out of the, the, the depression slump mm -hmm. or your anxiety overwhelming you or, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. It's not surefire. You, we have a mental illness. There is right. something chemically wrong. Right. But these are just things that could help. Exactly. And I hope that this, folks, yes, toolbox. your toolbox, I hope this doesn't discourage anyone from getting help if they need it. I just want to, I just wanted that out there though, to know that the reality of the situation is, is that our system is broken and, um, 
you know, there are things that you can do and that you still should do. I mean, I will fight till my dying day to fix it. Mm-hmm. I think that fixing, and I'm it's like, this has been a big trigger for me. Like, I think that, um, sorry, just getting a little emotional. I think that the hospitals are a really bad, like it's bad it's and, bad. and we need to fix it because there's no, it just, it's just, that's the last place that you go before the end. And so if you don't want to go there and you're, it's that bad, then you just go to the end. So, you know, I really hope that those opportunities can come in front of us and we can make those changes for people. But I am a big proponent, as is Sarah, of therapy. Shop around, find a therapist. My therapist said something really smart the other day um, that I wanted to share with you all that I didn't even ever think of is that to have a consultation with people instead of having a session. Mm. So if you have a consult, I know if someone and I are going to click or not right away so that you don't have to tell your whole story for an hour and then another hour and then another hour. Because I think that the hardest thing about finding a therapist is giving up after you find one that just isn't a match for you. Right. So, you know, ask for a consult, they'll do it. And, um, you can do that over the phone and then just keep looking for one until Mm -hmm. you find a good fit. There's so many what ifs. If I hadn't said that I didn't have a plan and I had ended up in that particular hospital, I don't know if I would be sitting here talking to you guys. I don't think you would because it, it yeah, bad things happened to Scott there. Really bad things. So that affected the rest of his time on this earth. And, um, it's, it's not a good place. So, you know, I mean, I just, I want it to be that there's just not one in this affluent, like fancy, rich ass part of town. Like right. you should be able to go to the other ones and get the same treatment of sort of being treated human. Right. <laughs> Cause you're still not really treated. You're still treated like, you know, caged animals, <laughs> caged animals. Um, but you know, that's, that's what this podcast is about. That's what our work is about. And, um, we appreciate you listening and, loving each other and being there for each other and learning and, and, and being willing to learn new things to help possible situations in the future. Um, so yeah, thank you for joining in and hearing Sarah's story. It was a powerful one. I had never heard it, which seems unreal, but well, it's not like sitting around the dinner table type of conversation. <laughs> We're not opening a bottle of wine talking about the trap. Anyways, so it was a story that needed to be told. And hopefully, it, I well, not hopefully, I know it's going to help someone out there. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Anytime. We are not a crisis hotline, but we are not. But need to you reach can out. always reach out to us. Yeah. So next week we have um, another <laughs> sad story, but yeah. That's okay because, you know, life is full of them and we can't just keep shying away from it. Correct. But, um, we are going to talk. Sarah has an awesome idea about talking about true crime and why that soothes your anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Makes zero sense. Yeah. So but we're it gonna, sure does. It sure does. And so we're going to talk about that, um, lighten things up a little bit. Uh, please stay safe. Take care of each other. And, um, just show up for each other. Yeah. All right. Stay wild and weird, warriors. Yes, for sure. We love you. Have a good week.
This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. Follow us on Instagram where you'll find our link tree to all things here at the UT. If you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Until next week, warriors, hold on, we're gonna make it.